0: When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice
1: Podcast. Welcome back to our mini-series that is turning out to be Not So Mini with uh, Dr. Justin Short um for you guys it's just another week for me i haven't talked to justin in quite a while so it's nice to get back on the line with him and uh, today we're going to be discussing metrics and overhead so uh, pretty excited for today's topic i think this is uh, most likely the most numbers intense um discussion of the of the series and you know for, for those of you guys who are driving i do apologize but i am a very numbers guy and so i'm looking forward to this episode with justin um We've gone into some of his overhead numbers throughout the course of the miniseries as things inevitably come up, but I think this episode will be great to really solidify those topics and get Justin's perspective. So without further ado, how are you doing, Justin?
0: Oh, hey, George. Didn't realize you'd be calling me today via Skype at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Justin. Thanks thanks for, uh, thanks for hurting my ears there. I really like that music. That was awesome.
0: You know what? Most people do like that music, and I can't blame them.
1: So no nickname today?
0: You know what? We'll save that for the next one. I only like to throw in like one one uh, curveball. I know you kind of lose track. So, yeah, well, uh, we've, been we've been settling yeah. in on G-Unit.
1: We've been settling in on G-Unit, so I, w- I don't expect anything else for the next episode.
0: I honestly, I'll be honest. Of this whole um, podcast mini series, the fact that people are starting to refer to you as G Unit on uh, the forum, social media, and stuff has actually been by far my favorite part of this whole experience. So, if nothing else, if I don't contribute anything else to the profession of dentistry, if more people start calling you G Unit, I can die a happy,
1: man. I can't say the same, but it has been pretty funny to hear that um out of all the nicknames, I think that one might be one that I don't mind being called so uh, yeah.
0: well, <laughs> your time your time has come, my friend
1: all right, Justin. well, let's get into it. I know that um in talking to you, you're pretty hardcore um when it comes to keeping your overhead in check um I think you feel that because you work um limited hours, you really need to maximize you know your take home based on what you collect um why? Do you think it's so important? Other than that fact, you know, what is so important about that to you?
0: It's kind of a loaded statement, because I think a lot goes into that. But I would say a lot of my success has come down to keeping my overhead in check. And keeping my overhead low gives me many more choices on how I spend my time. If my overhead's 50%, uh, I can't have a lot of things not be great in my office. And I'm still making decent money, most likely. You know, let's just look at the numbers. A 1.5 million practice at 75% overhead is bringing home 375000 before taxes. Versus a practice doing 750000 at 50% overhead. That practice is also bringing home 375000 So they're both bringing home the same amount, but One of those doctors can call it quits June 30th and take the rest of the year off. And the other one has to bust their butt for another six months. Now, the one doctor doing 1.5 may feel cooler because they have a practice doing 1.5 million. But I'd say that the latter is definitely the guy I'd want to be. It's kind of my thoughts.
1: I think that's a great point, you know, because I think when, you know, when you're clinically producing, it's, it's kind of a, you know, I don't want to have like we look at when you're buying a practice, you know, when you're analyzing, you know, the overhead and what your expected income would be. It's like you have to do all of this dentistry to make, you know, three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars when you can produce half as much and make that same income. So right. I think it's you know, just you know, how much dentistry do you want to do to take home a specific income? I think that's a great point. And the whole yeah. thing about fifty percent, you know, some say that may be um impossible. You know, how would you respond to somebody who says that fifty percent is impossible?
0: I've heard that before few times and I asked them have there been other dental practices in the past that have operated at 50% and of course the answer is yes and I just say the chances are it can be done again and I get it I know for some out there 50% is really tough to get to but it's not impossible but my point is not that everyone needs to get to 50% overhead my point is the lower you get it the more freedom you will have regardless of the schedule you decide to work. I couldn't take 10 weeks off a year if my overhead was 75%. No way. But I can when it's 50%. If you
1: you had to choose one thing that separates offices operating at higher overheads versus lower, what would be that one uh, overhead component that you would say differentiates them?
0: If I had to choose one thing, it would be staff overhead, no doubt. Um, If I could pick two... I'd throw in production. It's not, it's not terribly difficult to get either your staff overhead down or get your production up. But for too many offices, they're inversely related, you know, either they don't have a big staff, but they're not producing Jack or they're producing a lot, but they've got eight to 12 team members that they have to use to do that. So for me, the real magic happens when you can keep staff overhead down, but keep increasing production. I think that's where it's at and some doctors want to put in the time to learn and put in the effort to do that and
1: summed up I agree with you on staff overhead. Um, I think you know that's our biggest expense in general and then you know we've talked about it before where you feel that you know a lot of offices, especially in the front, are overstaffed. Yeah. so can you go a little bit deeper into that um, on your team overhead? Yeah. So
0: staffing is your biggest line item, as we said, and will often decide if you're running closer to 70% of total overhead or closer to 50%. No other line item on your balance sheet is going to have as profound of effect on overhead. So let's look at it. When doctors almost across the board, that I've spoken with, realize their overhead is out of whack, where do you think they go to to look to cut first? Supplies, right? Thank you, George. They get on their assistance. Hey, you know, do we really need to put out two cotton rolls per setup? Maybe I can use one less carp of anesthetic per patient. Now, if I have a million dollar practice and my supply bill is 6%, and I decide to really focus on this and get this expense down 10% of that, by being a miser on my supplies, using less, buying cheap crap. At the end of the year, I've saved six grand, which goes back in my pocket, which is great. But does that really change my life at all? No, not really. If it does change your life, call me. Now, let's say on that same $1 million practice, my staff overhead is 30%. That's 300,000. If I can lower that 10% to 20%, where I suggest to lock it in, that's a hundred thousand dollars more in my pocket. On a one point five million dollar practice, that's one hundred fifty thousand back in my pocket. That takes your income from three hundred seventy five thousand now up to five hundred twenty five thousand a year. And there's definitely a difference between someone making three hundred seventy five thousand and someone making five hundred
1: twenty five thousand. Oh yeah. So, and what do you think about? <clears throat> Um, you know, why do offices allow their staff overhead to be higher than 30%? You know, what is it about the way they do things, the way they hire, whatever they pay? You know, what is it that causes their overhead to be so high in your experience?
0: In my experience, in a nutshell, it's harder. Often to do bigger numbers, you need a bigger team or you need a better team. It's not easy or fun to train an average team to be great. So what most dentists do is just hire another person. That's often easier than working with your existing team to improve or firing the wrong people and hiring the right people to get more done with less people. Most dentists hate having to sit down and be intentional in training their team to get better. They'd rather take it on the chin and throw more average people into the mix. I saw on Facebook, It's probably been a month ago now. In um, one of the groups, someone asked, do you require your team to be all 10s or all A players? I forget how they worded it. And I guess I'm just naive, but I thought it'd be a no-brainer. I thought everyone would say, yes, absolutely, of course. But very few did. And I guess I shouldn't have been horrified or surprised, but I was, on how few had a high standard for their team. And that is why a lot of practices stay in that average zone. I guarantee that practices and doctors that I know who have extraordinarily successful practices and produce more, take home more, have more time off than most docs do, never would you catch them saying having a team of tens is not important. They know how important it is. It's not by accident or coincidence that they all think that same way. Look at all the most successful pr- companies in the world. Microsoft, Apple, Amazon. You know, if, do you think if we asked their CEOs if it was important to be surrounded by a, player, a players, what do you think they're gonna say? Of course. And it's a choice we all have. Some are willing to put in the extra time and hard work early on to develop their team. And some are satisfied with less or maybe satisfied with not being satisfied. I wasn't and most of my clients are not the ones looking to have average practices in life or if they are, they're going to waste their money with me or be very annoyed with me one or the other. So that's my feelings on the
1: subject. And, you know, I think you make a great point and I want to kind of emphasize that you know, those teams of tens of yours. you're not paying them, you know, below market, you know, you're paying them probably more than what they would make at somewhere else. Am I correct in that saying that?
0: Yeah. You know, I would say, and i told my team this before, um, if they can find someone doing their same job in another office within 50 miles of our office that is making more than they are, let me know and um, we'll discuss it because I, I know that they're the best But it didn't happen. They didn't come to me. They didn't start with me being the best. It took a lot of work to get them to be the best. I think it was last year, 2016. So they all make average wages. If you did a poll, like I'm sure all their, you know, my assistants make low 20s, my office manager low to mid 20s, my hygienist mid 30s. But if you average back in their bonuses that they got over 2016, the bonuses added over $10 per hour of every hour they work. So for my area, that puts our hygienists, you know, mid forties, office manager, mid thirties, assistants, low thirties, which for our market is definitely in the top percentile. So no, you've got to take care of your patients, but if you have an eight, sorry, you gotta take care of your team. But if you have a team of extraordinary people that are well-trained, in most cases, you have the financial capabilities to take care of them and it's fun i mean they on top of their average wages i think they all you know made or a little bit over 20 grand in bonuses last year which really adds a lot to their life and it's fun
1: thanks for sharing that um you know i think just in general you've been really honest with us um, throughout the whole mini series about questions that other people maybe not have answered so i do appreciate that answer And on the same topic, uh, I know you have a story that illustrates this point. Do you mind sharing uh, with our audience that story?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the right one. But I had someone a few months ago who was deciding between using me for coaching or using someone else. Obviously, I thought it was an easy easy choice, but whatever.
1: Yeah, obviously go with somebody else. Right. I was like, dude, are you crazy? No way. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) So they email me knowing my ideal Um, for team overhead is 20%. Again, that doesn't mean if you're not there that you're doing horrible. Of course not. It's all a process. And sometimes an office will bottom out at 25%. And then we work on increasing production to dilute that some more. But again, it's all a process. I'm not like, if you're not at 20%, you can go die. But back to the story. This person brought up to me that another group that they were looking at suggests to have staff overhead at 25 to 27%. And I just kind of got the feeling that they were hinting that I was wrong, um, which is okay. I mean, I'm wrong like a lot. But to me, first off, there is, in this, there is no right or wrong. But to me, there is a good, a bad, a better, best kind of thing. So I just asked them a few questions as we were working through it. And I asked them, you know, if you have a million dollar practice, if your take home profit Is your take-home profit going to be higher or lower if your staff percentage is at 27% or 20%? So obviously, it was kind of a rhetorical question, but they're going to take home if their staff overheads at 20% versus 27%. I'm sure your millions of listeners right now are like getting out their calculator like, what the hell is he saying? Number two, which do you think is harder to accomplish? 27% or 20%? Again, kind of rhetorical but obviously it's harder to get to 20% than 27%. It takes more effort, takes more work. Then I finally, I wrapped it up with, which do you think it's easier to sell to prospective clients? You know, if I was looking for a coach and one saying 27%, one saying 20% in my mind, I'm like 27% sounds a lot easier. So you see where I'm going with this. Most of us like to improve, but we don't want too big of a challenge. We want to be good, but not great necessarily. Most are willing to put in the work to get four weeks off, but not eight weeks off or 10 weeks off. Most will put in some effort, but stop when it gets a little uncomfortable. Most of us will work hard enough to make 300,000, but not 800,000. Look, for the past many years, my practice has honestly been easy to do what I do. I'm not like patting myself on the back or bragging. It just has been. And I don't say that flippantly or arrogantly. It's just the truth. But when I took over the practice I'm in back in 2011, it was hard for a couple of years. I mean there was nothing like you walked in and when I took over the practice it was doing 425,000 on four days a week and was losing patients like crazy. So it was hard. I get it, but hard work pays off and it always will. If you're willing to put in the work, that no one else is willing to do, then you're going to reap rewards that no one else is getting either.
1: I think that was very well said. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great story that drives home that point. And, um, you know, going back to something that I kind of alluded to earlier, um, specifically with the staff, which position is the most, you know, overstaffed and why?
0: Easy question. Hands down, it's a front desk. It's incredible. Um, I have one front desk for our practice that will collect one6 Million this year in a PPO practice. I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there beating that. That's awesome. Now I'm not saying everyone has to do exactly that. But weekly, I'll talk to doctors that have two front desk people, or they'll call them one front desk and an office manager, one front desk and an insurance coordinator, one front desk and who gives, I don't know. Um, And the practices are doing, you know, 500,000 to a million. I'd say I see that like 70% of the time. That's an extra depending on what you're paying them 30 to 50,000 that could be going into your pocket that may be, may mean the difference between paying off your practice in 5 years versus 10 years but it's always easier to hire someone else than to find one superstar and train them to be good enough to do the job well all by themselves you're not going to convince me you need two front desk people in a practice doing less than a million dollars. I just know you don't. You may think you do, but you're wrong. It may, and I don't say that often, and I know that because I've done it, and I see it being done. Some practices, it may be easier, harder than others, but at the end of the day, it can be done. So, you know, I don't draw the line and say many, many times on many things, but I let people know, like, I support you. You no, know, if you say I get it, Justin, but I need I want two people. Okay, awesome. But you're not going to convince me. You have to have two people to be doing those kind of numbers. Now, does every one of my clients follow this? No, not necessarily. A lot do, but not all. But they realize the trade off they're making. So,
1: and you know, I think, yeah, I think that's pretty pretty abundantly clear that, you know, that obviously an extra staff person adds quite a bit of overhead to your you know to your end sheet. Um, and so, other than the front desk, so we've now let 's just say there 's a practice out there with one front desk. What other ways do they have to reduce their overhead or keep it in check?
0: If we have our team overhead in check that's a good first start, but it doesn't mean we don't watch everything else. Everything matters, so you know here just I' just list off a few of the random things that we do, and probably some of this or maybe all of it is pretty straightforward, and the listeners are going to be like, duh, but Number one, I mean, we never take someone's first offer on equipment, purchases, or services, etc. We always ask, is that the best you can do? Or can you do any better? And most of the time they can and they will. I use a good rewards card. Really, if you own a dental practice, you should never have to pay for airline tickets again anywhere. So you want to make the most out of your expenses. I always tell people, don't get too comfy with your supply rep. You know, they think you're married for life. They have a little. They have little incentive to help keep your costs down. Every year, I let them know I'm gonna bid out last year's supply list to see if someone can get me the same supplies for a l- lower cost without compromising quality. And that always lights a fire under them, and that always helps my prices. I always ask for freebies when we're you know we're making bigger purchases. Sometimes we'll use discount suppliers where it makes sense, like Darby, Scott, Safeco, Net Thirty Two, and there are others. But those are just a few things that we do that we keep our eye on
1: and you know for that person who's out there um, you know I guess somebody who wants to be like you and have large production with low overhead you know what do you say to somebody like that what what do they have to have or what do they need to do to achieve that that kind of that goal the ideal high 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 collections low overhead
0: I mean if someone came to me and said I want to be like you it'd be like bro or bro at You do not want to be like me, trust me. (laughs) Um, But going just from the office stuff, let's say. Number one, you have to be the leader of the office. A lot of dentists I talk to are afraid to have hard conversations with team members to try to get them to perform at a higher level or how they, the doctor, want them to. If you're listening to this, you can often tell who you need to talk to by thinking about which team member do you want to talk to the least. Which one would be the hardest for you to talk to? Which one's going to get pissed off when you talk to them? More often than not, that is where the biggest issue lies. You will not and cannot run an extraordinarily successful office being afraid to have hard conversations with members of your team because you're afraid they'll quit or they'll get ticked off. If they do quit, then that's a sure sign that they were not the right person for your office. And I'm telling you, it will be a blessing in disguise. Next, you have to keep your schedule condensed. Don't spread out over five days, which you can do in four days or three days. You got to produce more per appointment. Think about it: what's more productive and efficient. 12 fillings on six patients, two at a time, or 12 fillings on three patients, four fillings per patient. If you're doing single tooth dentistry all the time, You may increase production for a little while, maybe, but you're going to plateau and you're not going to become efficient enough where you work less hours and have an above average income. I wanted both. I wasn't content having to pick one or the other. And that's what I had to figure out so I could do it. Now, obviously, more goes into it. You have to learn how to talk to patients and get good at increasing rapport Mm -hmm. and presenting treatments, but it can be done. Bottom
1: line. And, you know, I think between what you offer in the course and what we talked about, you know, a little like, you know, preview of the course in the previous episode about that, you know, I think they get a good idea of what you mean there.
0: And So you're saying they're getting sick of me? Is what you're saying, George?
1: I am, but no, I, don't, I don't know about them. I'm you know, sure. they don't, no, they don't do sure what they they as much as I do. They're
0: like, what the heck? 10 episodes? <laughs> this is killing us.
1: <laughs> nah, you've been great. And um, <laughs> back on topic. You know, so. In terms of staff, I think that's the one that everyone's really wondering about. You know, What are the keys to hitting those high production numbers, keeping staff overhead at 20%? No
0: idea, George. Next question. <laughs> um, again, I'd say it starts with leadership, to get your team to buy into your vision. My team knows my vision and goals for our office. I'm not a jerk about it. But if they don't subscribe to my vision for my office, then they can't play on my team. Sorry. You have to have a team of all-stars, and if you have the right people for the job, it's your job as the leader to help them grow into who you need them to be. You need to show and tell them the way. You need them to grow and perform. You can't leave it to chance. It's not gonna happen on, on its own. I've never had a team member come up to me and say, hey, Justin, can you just work with me to really help me improve so that we can more efficiently hit the numbers and goals for our office. Like, I don't know if that happened, that would give me a dental orgasm. If that happened,
1: George is like, Oh God, we're going to have to edit that out. I no <laughs> that. that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so where was I, what were we talking about? Dentistry? Don't leave it to chance. You have to lead in creating the culture of your office. Culture is going to come from you, the doctor, one way or another. If you let poor performance and complaining happen in your office, then that will be your culture. If you demand excellence in all areas and you can do that and still being kind, that will become your culture. Culture is one of the very few things that cannot be delegated in your office. It's going to come from you, one way or the other. Your team has to work together and be cross trained. There is very little of in my office that this is my job. This is your job. If you see if they see something that needs to be done or see that someone needs help or someone, you know, whatever, that is their job. At that moment, that becomes their job, wherever they're needed, becomes their job. Everyone should be able to answer the phone, schedule a patient, suction, Write up a referral slip, get an x-ray, bring a patient back, and have conversations with patients about treatment. I mean, That should be the minimums. With a highly trained team, it takes less team members to make the same amount of money. Less team members leads to lower overhead. Lower overhead leads to more income, and more income leads to more choices
1: for you, the doctor. Um, in terms of your overhead numbers, can you run us through those numbers? Actually, um, you know, I know everybody's heard ten different versions of the overhead percentages and what they should expect, but for your practice, it's, it's different, and I think it's worth going into. So, um, yeah, can you kind of go through a breakdown of your percentages?
0: Sure, and I agree with you. Everyone's a little bit different here. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, let's just start with you know staff overheads twenty percent, right? Um, you know, so then what do we have for like rent?
0: Rent, I'd say three to five percent.
1: Okay, and then uh, lab.
0: I would say nine to nine percent, give or take a little bit. I want this number higher than most because it means I'm producing more.
1: Okay. That, yeah, that makes sense. You know, and then you know, given, but for for your CREC, um, do you put the CIRIC costs in lab? Um,
0: I do. I don't, have we talked about Seric before
1: yeah we have we we okay. went over it um the the cycle of death, the Seric cycle of death right
0: perfect um well, I won't go into that, but yeah, I would put CERIC in there
1: and then uh your equipment expenses three to five percent okay, and then your office supplies, I think that's pretty standard one percent and then uh, we talked about supply costs a little earlier um what do you guy what do you typically arrange in supplies?
0: Five to six percent. Mean, I'd say six percent is the norm. I think if your production is high you can get it down a touch just by dilution.
1: Okay, and then marketing we talked to we had a whole episode on marketing
0: Um six to eight percent on the low end, you know I'd say the most productive practices I know of advertise the most in most cases now Obviously, there's some give-and-take from all these numbers or each of these categories But I, mean, I think those numbers are a good rule of thumb
1: And, you know, which numbers of those do you watch on a most consistent basis?
0: I'll be honest. I'm not a huge watch every number kind of guy. I know you are really good at that. And I think that's one of the areas you and I differ in. Um, Like today in my practice, really all I care about are production, collection, and overhead. If those numbers are where they should be, I don't waste time tracking crap. I don't like to track. Um, I just don't enjoy it. Now, if those numbers were off, you know, if I saw those numbers slipping um, down or I saw overhead creeping up, you can bet I'd be in there digging deeper really fast. But if they stay where they need to be, don't bother me with the bitly junk would be my philosophy. I think a lot of, dent- and I, you know, working with clients, obviously, it's a little bit different because we're in different position- positions. Um, so we track a little bit more, but. That's where I'm at now. I think a lot of dentists like to stare at and analyze their dental Intel screens or the other uh, services that do that like all day long, all the while their production number isn't moving. I'd rather be the guy next door producing dentistry so I don't have to bother with every little number someone comes up with a formula for. Now, that all being said, in my opinion, if you really held a gun to my head and made me get more detailed... Um I'd say the most important numbers to me would be production collections, overhead, new patients, and recall percentage.
1: I'm happy you said the reappointment rate recall percentage um that was you know <clears throat> yeah, I'm a big metrics guy um you know that we differ in that for sure um but you know your your answer was very underwhelming until you said reappointment rate. I think that one's incredibly important, so i um I'm just giving you a hard time Justin.
0: No, it's all right. I mean, at least that one had a good ending. Most my <laughs> answers are just underwhelming and they stay underwhelming.
1: Okay, so to new patients. And we talk about new patients a little bit, but um, you know, how many do you want per month?
0: As many as I can get. I want every patient in my market. I don't want my competitors to get a single new patient. If I have more than I can handle, I can drop insurances or I can raise my fees so I can be more productive in less time. But that, I I just want every every new patient I can get. There's no numbers where I'd be like, oh, we got 50 patients this month. You know, let's let's crank marketing down a bit. Or we got 100 patients this month. Let's bring it down. Um, you know, I want everyone I can get. So, man, I would, you want a number, don't you? You want a number?
1: You know, it's fine. I don't I don't need a number. I just I would hate to be next door to you.
0: Yeah. No, I don't blame you. You'd be an idiot to settle up next door to me.
1: <laughs> I will crush you. <laughs> so I'm happy you said production per hour because that's another one that I'm, I'm a big fan of personally. And that's something I plan to spend a lot of time on my career is uh, that number and how I right. can increase it. So uh, one of the reasons I hired you is because I was very impressed with your hourly production. Um, that's something that means a lot to me. And, you know, for our audience, you know, can you tell them what your hourly production is and, you know, Your recall Um, percentage?
0: Sure, George. On average, my production per hour is right at $1,500 per hour. Maybe it's a tad above. I haven't figured it out for a little while. But that's what I want to be producing every hour I'm in the office. Recall percentage, I think most probably know this number. In my opinion, you need to be shooting for 85%. 85% of patients are being rescheduled before they leave the office.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great number also. And then your, um, your marketing... ROI.
0: I want to see a minimum three to one return. So if nothing else is working, the best you can do on something is two to one, like you're still making money. But in general, I want to see at least a three to one return. Um and obviously higher the better. And I think if you have these metrics in order, you're gonna be well
1: on your way. I think that is a great yeah, I don't have anything else for you on the topic. Um in metrics. This was dense. Um I will admit, you know, for me I love this stuff, but you know, not everybody does. And so, you know, if you're driving, whatever, um, you know, listen to it again, take some notes and I think you'll get a lot out of it, um, in terms of, you know, the numbers that Justin talks about. And again, this does vary by region, but you know, for the most part, I think what Justin's trying to get at, and I think, you know, he would agree with me saying this is that you, you strive to be ambitious with your overhead and, um, set big goals and then do your best to achieve them. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you back on Justin we got two more episodes with you. We'll make them count. Next week is real estate investing. Um, that's one I'm really excited about. And I think our audience, you know, you have this like side reputation of being the real estate guy in dentistry. You're I have one a of... lot
0: of side reputations, George.
1: You're also obnoxious, but you know. Mo-
0: mostly from college. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, next week we'll be talking about real estate and then the following week will be our last episode. And it's just going to be kind of wrapping up the whole miniseries. Um Nothing necessarily new there, but it just be my, my thoughts on a lot of things as I'm sitting here listening to Justin talk All right well I'll leave you guys for the rest of your week and we'll see you next week a
0: sweat I live my life like it's all